Good morning, church. God is good. And all the time? All right. Well, last weekend, I'm sorry I had to uh, be away in a horrible place um, down in San Diego for the weekend where it was 72 degrees at the high. And I know, but someone had to do it. So I did it for you. <laughs> uh, I know my wife and I were away celebrating our 29th anniversary. So, She's stuck with me quite a while. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I realize I'm, I'm really getting old when you've been married almost 30 years because when I was younger, people who were married close to 30 years were really old. I'm like, man, alive. I can't be that old, am I? But, uh, but I was happy when one day, um, uh, when we were working out down the street uh, one morning, uh, and when we work out, it's kind of like a family. You know, there's people, you get to know each other, you see each other every day. And there's these two, uh, two young ladies who started coming, uh, I don't know, about six to eight weeks ago. And they're cousins. And they were talking to, to Lisa and, and I think, I think Janine and, and so forth. And they started laughing. And I said, what's so funny? And this one, uh, this one young lady said, oh, I didn't know you guys were married, talking about Lisa and I and saying we we're going to leave in 29 years. Blah, blah, blah. She said, I didn't know you guys were married. I thought you guys were just gym crushes. <laughs> and I'm like... Gym crushes, all right. So I said to Lisa, see? See, it's obvious. It's obvious, you know? So anyways, that was a fun conversation. Um, well, today, being that uh, we have the 4th of July, July holiday this weekend and so forth, I was just reflecting and thinking about our freedom and how blessed we are. Um, and I began to think about just the thought of power, you know, the use of power power internationally, power interpersonally, and uh, I felt impressed to share this message with us today as a, as a church, uh, because power, the use of power and the misuse of power, um, I believe is at the heart of many of our issues as human beings, and at the heart of many of our relationship issues as human beings. In an article in the Wall Street Journal, one researcher noted that most of us are nicer as we're climbing the social ladder. But once we get close to the top, we start acting like a beast. The researcher goes on and says, as one business professor concluded, it's an incredibly consistent effect. When you give people power, they basically start acting like fools, he said. They flirt inappropriately. They tease in a hostile fashion and become totally impulsive. Some have even compared the feeling of power to brain damage, noting that people with lots of authority tend to behave like neurological patients with a damaged front, frontal lobe, a brain area that's crucial for empathy and decision-making. The researcher went on and noted a study in which psychologists asked members of a high-power group about speeding. The group concluded that it was okay for them to speed, but that it was important for others to follow the posted limit. The rationale was that powerful people are important and had a good reason for speeding. The researcher concludes, even the most virtuous people can be undone by the corner office. Power. The sense of power. And maybe others dealing with others who appear to be weak or weaker than you or I. 
This whole life is about relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with people. And power and strength play big, big roles in our relationships with each other and with one another. Interpersonally, as I said, corporately, domestically, and internationally. In a marriage relationship, when I do premarital counseling, we we talk about power. Because in a marriage, it can cause problems when one starts asserting more power than the other. And maybe in a way that's not healthy. We talk about arguments. And in my experience, in my own experience of arguing, and in counseling others who are in disputes or in arguments, it often comes down to power. It may be a certain thing that needs attention in a relationship that you begin this discussion on. Maybe, maybe you've been there before. There's something that comes up and you start discussing it. Note, we're discussing. You are discussing it. And then before you know it, as words go from one to another, things start developing and you get into an argument. And then the argument gets so big, you don't remember the original purpose of your discussion. Have you been there? Probably. Because in the transaction and in, in exchanging of words with each other, there gets to be a point sometimes where you're not trying to solve the problem, but now there have been things that have been said that have been hurtful. And maybe even things that have been said in an intentional way to hurt the other person, that now it's a matter of retaliation back and forth. And what happens is no longer trying to solve a problem, but now each person is protecting their empire. And so you have empire protection, empire building, when in reality, Jesus came to remind us that it's all about one kingdom, not empires. Power. Weakness. We have schools. Education's important. We have athletic programs. In my opinion, all important. Why? Yes, we need to learn mathematics, sciences, and linguistics, and all kinds of other things. But I think one of the reasons we developed our own schools as Adventists was that we knew that there's also something else called discipleship. There's something about trying to raise our kids and understanding what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to live under the reign of God. And so in the classroom, as well as on the athletic field or on the court, these things can be learned. And I want to suggest, and some of you may not be uh, proponents for uh, athletics or, or competitive sports in our schools, I'll just say that I am. I think it's one of the best things to teach our kids about what real life is like. You get out on, on, the, on the court or on the field, and you have to deal with adverse situations. You have, to re, you have to achieve a common goal with a team in which you may or may not agree with everybody on the team or enjoy, or enjoy participating or working with. And you have to deal with things that aren't, aren't always nice. Maybe you're playing against a team that likes to what we call trash talk. And maybe things are said on the court as you run up and down the court that aren't the most loving or kind remarks. And you have to deal with that situation. How are you going to respond? How are you going to react? Power. What kind of power will you use? Francis Chan said in his book, Crazy Love, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. 
When we play a game, sure, we'd like to win, but really is the purpose of that game as a Christian is to grow in our discipleship to Jesus Christ. It's to grow in allowing him to reign more in my life and in other people's lives. When we're in the classroom and things happen, if I'm tempted to cheat, if I'm tempted to do things that maybe aren't the best, how am I growing and trusting God's reign in my life in those situations? Sometimes I think we get sidetracked on being concerned about succeeding at things in this life that don't really matter. If we have a game and we win that game 100 to 10, but our character was not good, did we win that game or lose that game? We lost that game. Things matter, and we want to succeed in the things that matter, that have eternal value. Growing up in families, parents, We love raising kids, and kids love raising us. (laughs) And therein is always a tension at times, because we are trying to be parents in which we're helping them learn how how to reign and govern well as they move on in life. And the, the question for them will always be, do mom and dad really know how to govern well? Do they really know the truth on these things, or is it better outside of what they have to say? Do I know better than they do? That's what we did as kids, right? And let's face it, parents, we don't know everything, right? And we don't always govern the best. We don't always rule well, because we're not perfect as well. Francis Chan also said these words, do you know that nothing you do in this life will ever matter unless it is about loving God and loving the people he has made. That's it. It's what Jesus came to tell us about. It's what he came to show us and how he lived his life. I want to go back to the beginning, back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. When God was creating the world, he was creating humankind. The author of Genesis says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, when God created us in his image, He created us with the ability to govern, the ability to rule, the ability to reign. He said, rule over all of this earth. And so that was the image we were created in. Sin broke in, and it corrupted our ability to rule and to reign. And we can get into a much longer discussion on the problem of evil, but for me, this is where it all begins. The big problem of evil we have in this world is because we, as human beings, don't always rule well. And that has effects, not just on us as human beings, but on our world. And so we get to where we are today. And the trouble is, is that 
without the supernatural divine power of God in our lives, we will not grow in ruling well. In fact, the temptation is is that, you see, in this world, if you rule like God does, and how Jesus showed us how you rule things in this life, the world will perceive that you are weak. Because the perfect power of God is shown us in the life and the death of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, many thought, was weak. He didn't fight back. When he was insulted, when he was persecuted, he didn't strike back. Our world would say he was weak. Our world would say that he lost the fight. I mean, he died on a cross. The worst death you could die. The curse of God, it was thought of. God's perfect power seems to be weak to the world. The Apostle Paul wrote these words. He'd been having a conversation with God. He'd prayed for this thorn in the flesh that he experienced. We don't know exactly what that is. Some think it was some type of a chronic disease. But he prayed for this thorn in the flesh to be taken away three times. But this is what God said to him. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults in hardships in persecutions in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Quite a paradox here. When we're weak, at our weakest, Christ's strength and power is the greatest. And so maybe then if we say, when we feel the strongest and most powerful, maybe we're actually the weakest. In fact, maybe when we feel the strongest and most powerful, those are the times when we might take advantage of situations, just as our researcher said at the beginning. Our view of things, our vision of life gets skewed and confused. But how can we actually be strong and more powerful when we are at our weakest? There's one way I'd like to suggest. It comes through the act of surrender. It comes through the simple act of surrender. When we surrender, what are we doing? We are admitting and accepting our weakness. We're also acknowledging that he alone is strong, mighty, and powerful, and we are not. Some of you might remember the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Many people have heard that before. And I've shared with you a couple years ago the full serenity prayer that many people do not know. But the full serenity prayer, written by a theologian, says the first part, but adds at the end of that first part, through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a big difference when you add that phrase. 
God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then it goes on. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardships as the pathway to peace. Taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is and not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right, even if I, I'm sorry, if I will surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. See that phrase I read to you, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace. When hardships come, whatever they may be, when hardships come, They're a pathway to peace. Why? Because I can surrender them to God. I don't have to control the situation. I can surrender it. So every hardship, or as Paul said, every insult, every weakness, every persecution, every difficulty, I can surrender to the reign of God as a pathway to peace. And that's when the peace that's beyond all understanding happens in my life because I don't have to control that situation. I can surrender it. I can, as the prayer goes on to say, take as Jesus did this sinful world as it is and not as I would have it. There's a lot of things in this world are not the way we would like to have it. But this world was going in a direction in the way that Jesus would not have had it. But he took it. This sinful world as it was and as it is. And not as he would have it. Or as we might have it. And so we trust that he will make all things right if we surrender to his will. I know we can feel impatient sometimes. All right, I surrendered it. Nothing's happening. When's it going to happen? That's when we trust the reign of God. And maybe things are happening in our life, you know, and we want to we be the, the one who takes care of the vengeance. And that's where God says, no, no, no. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I didn't put you in charge of my vengeance. And that's where we can have the peace again, a pathway to peace, because we can say, this situation is not right. I don't like what this person is doing to me. And sure, there are certain things that we can do in a healthy way and in a godly way. But at some point, we probably have to let it go and trust that God will do what he's going to do in his time when it's right. There's something I like to remind myself of regularly. When I don't trust or live by the reign of God, I won't rule by the reign of God either. They're connected. If I'm living a life of trusting the reign of God in my life, then the tendency is that I'm going to grow more in extending that reign of God. When I rule by the reign of God, we may appear weak in the eyes and estimation of those who don't rest in the reign of God. Now, I know that none of us do this perfectly. I know I sure don't. But it's what I strive for. Because the more I rest in the reign of God, the more I experience the life God wants me to have. And the more I trust in my own ability to reign and to govern and not God's, I don't experience the life that Jesus wants me to have nor do the people around me. They're directly connected. And so we need to embrace our weakness 
in a world that says get stronger, get stronger, get stronger, get tougher. God encourages us to embrace our weakness so his strength can be the greatest within us. For when I am weak, then I am strong. According to scripture, according to the biblical view, according to the kingdom perspective, I am only strong when I'm weak. I'm only strong, I'm only strong when I am strong in his strength, trusting in his rule and his way, and weak in myself. For as Paul said elsewhere, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. Or as the message puts it, I love this translation. This is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off to the sidelines. I must decrease. He must increase. Church, this is why coming to the scriptures is so important. Because when we come to the scriptures on our own time, as a church collectively, but on our own time as well, It reminds us that he must increase and I must decrease. It reminds us that he alone is God. He alone is healthy power, perfect power and strength. He alone is the authority for all life. And so when I come to the scriptures during the week, I come wanting to know God. I come wanting to grow more intimate with him. I come wanting to know his love more. I want to express my love to him. I want to be a blessing to God. But it's also a discipline of allowing myself to remember that he alone is the power and the authority for all life. And it grows us in a life of humility and of humble trust. And God says he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And so coming before scripture and coming before God in his word is a constant way for us to grow in our weakness and to grow in his strength. And to trust his strength and his perfect power and not our own strength and our own power. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said, as God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved all at once. Just look at that for a second. As God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved all at once. This is why Jesus said, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Born again. A new heart and a new mind that happens when we surrender to God. Or again, as the message translation says, take it from me, Jesus says, unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. We have to surrender, give him our heart and our head, and follow him. Lisa Chan, Francis's wife, who I quoted earlier, said, if my desire is to display the humility of Christ, I need constant input from the scriptures to do so. I am so weak that I must keep my eyes on his example and pray constantly for the spirit to enable me to live for him. We prayed for Will Alexander this morning. What an incredible man of God. What a life. I always am blessed when I'm sitting talking with Will. And I love, you know, I love his title, you know, Doctor of Eternal Medicine. <laughs> and I've, I always get a kick out of whenever uh, we're together and we're in the context of medical students. 
And he loves to ask them this question. He asks them, are you, when it comes to healing and the power of healing, are you the source or the channel? Are you the source or are you the channel? It's the same for us, church. No matter what we do, medical students, students in anything, employed by mother, father, child, whoever we are in this life, are we the source or are we the channel? We can be an incredible channel for the power of God in the lives of others. But when we rest in our own power, we begin to think we're the source and not the channel. We were created to be a channel of God's grace and power in our lives. Jesus showed us what this perfect power looks like. He showed it in his incarnation when he left heaven. Scripture says in Philippians that he emptied himself, took on the form of of a human being, became a servant, obedient to the point of death. Perfect power. In his baptism, he showed us what perfect power looks like in showing that he was going to submit to the reign of the Father. And so he was baptized. In his temptation, when he was tempted by the devil, he quoted scripture every single time, showing the authority of God's word and how he lived his life based off of that authority. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he surrendered again, not my will, but thy will be done. And on the cross, ultimately, he showed us what that perfect power looked like. And that cross for this world for so many years is a symbol of weakness. And yet God chose the cross to be a symbol of his perfect power. And disciples of Jesus, he says what? If you're going to follow me, you must pick up your cross and follow me. Because this is what true power looks like. This is what true power can do in saving the world and bring all things back to right again. And so Jesus invites us to live the same amazing life that he lived. A life that seems weak and powerless in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes and kingdom, which alone is eternal. It's a life of true strength, perfect power, and greatness. I want to close with a scripture passage. Revelation chapter 5. And in this chapter we see what perfect power looks like. Jesus is depicted as a a lamb. There's a problem in heaven. There's a scroll that can't seem to be opened. And in chapter 5, this problem is solved. It says, Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb 
looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went out and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is within them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. There we see. There we see at the end the perfect power of God expressed in the Lamb, Jesus Christ. That is a power, church, that I can trust a power that appears weak, a a slain lamb. How much weaker can you get? But therein lies the power to redeem humanity and to make all things new again. And that very power found in the Lamb of God, of Jesus Christ, is offered to you and I through his grace and through his presence of the Holy Spirit every single day of our lives. But be careful because the temptation will be to fall to the world's view of who you are and how you're acting. You will be perceived as weak, but know that you are living in perfect power that comes only from the reign of God in your lives. Did you notice verse 10? It's easy to go by. In verse 10, it says, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Genesis 1, 26 to 28, we were created to rule and to reign. From Genesis to Revelation, the problem is how human beings reign. How human beings rule. Jesus came to show us what it looks like and through his power to be able to teach us how to rule again how to rule well, how to use our power well, and not to use and abuse and for personal gain, but to bless others. And so he came, and right there in the Gospels, he says these words, come follow me. Come follow me. And in being a disciple to Jesus, he teaches us how to rule and how to reign. Until ultimately, when we get to Revelation, We will reign on the earth. Church, Jesus has come to remind us that he alone has the perfect power. And by his grace, we can grow in ruling day by day.
one moment at a time in his perfect power. Let's pray. Jesus, you alone are worthy. You alone are all-powerful, all-glorious. Forgive me and forgive us when sometimes we put ourselves in that place. Maybe not intentionally, but unintentionally. We don't always rule well. We're sinners. And so we need your supernatural grace and your presence in our life for your forgiveness and for the power of transformation. And so, Jesus, I ask that as we leave this place, that we would surrender to you moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. And as we do so, your reign would continue to break through in all of our lives and in this world. Would you take a moment now just in silent prayer to surrender and to talk to Jesus about his perfect power in our lives?
as we go, may we go trusting in his power and by his grace reigning with his power. God bless you.